I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you. Hello and welcome to Waco PD on the beat. I am Officer AJ Smith, the Crime Stoppers Coordinator for McLennan County. And I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer for the Waco Police Department. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, today we have one of our officers getting to... Detective now. Oh yeah, he is a detective. The last time I saw him, he was just a mere officer like me. <laughs> now he's special <laughs> and he's into crimes because he just moved over to special crimes. So okay. we've got Detective Bradley Delane. That's right. Exciting. Yeah. Just just fresh moved, so detecting just, things. You're just a little new baby in Brand the special new. crimes unit. Brand new. <laughs> so let's talk about that. How long have you been with the Waco Police Department, and how did you transition over? So I've been with the Waco Police Department since June of 2018, so just a little over four years, not much over that. Uh, I spent a little over three years on patrol. Of course, we have about a one-year process from higher date to getting on the streets and learning how to do this job effectively as a patrol officer. So I did that. I uh, spent just over three years, and as soon as uh, I kind of made the mark to be able to apply for special crimes, I, I went ahead and put in for it. Didn't anticipate at the beginning, beginning of this year actually putting in for special crimes. Uh, it, it popped up, and it was something that I thought about a little bit more and thought, yeah, you know what? I think I'd like to give that a shot. It'd be a good challenge. So uh, I put my hat in and, and took a test, and I guess the rest is history. Here I am, three weeks into being a detective, uh, brand new. Yeah, I was going to say three yeah. weeks. And I don't know yeah. if we've had anyone from special crimes. So what, think, what well, does we, that mean? We did have Sam Key on once, but I don't think we talked we didn't about, talk special, about special crimes. Special crimes. Yeah. So special crimes, we, we actually investigate quite a few different style cases. The big ones that uh, obviously come to mind are murder homicides. Uh, sexual assaults of adults. Uh, we investigate those. We investigate unlawful disclosures and injury to the elderly uh, and is where we take that portion and then injury to children. It's the same offense code, but we split it between crimes against children and us. So we take the adult portion of it. And then the other big item would be trafficking and smuggling of persons and robberies. Those are, that, those are kind of our main wheelhouses. Of course, there's some little offshoots that we take care of, mm-hmm. uh, but those are the big things for special heavy. crimes. That's yeah. heavy. It's all the good dinner conversation items. What made you want to? What, what made you want to switch from patrol to uh, detective at special crimes? Uh, so yeah, again, like I said at the beginning of the year, I didn't think I would do it, uh, and then now that I am, when it presented itself, I looked into it. Uh, it was a fresh challenge. It's a big challenge. Uh, there are cases with high profiles. There's a lot of pressure on the detective themselves. There's a lot to learn. Uh, the training uh, cadre or menu, if you will, that I'm uh, going through actively right now is is big. And uh, I enjoy that challenge of, of more to learn. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a person who prides myself on being a little bit of a lifetime student. If I could afford to go to college the rest of my life, I would. Uh, but, you know, lack of money and availability for that. So uh, I choose to challenge myself through work, which is how I ended up in special crimes. And I know that there's a lot of guys, including one that's been there for over 30 years now in that unit, just 30 years in the unit. And obviously there's a lot that you can learn, a lot of different ways you can go. And what made you want to join law enforcement in the beginning? So law enforcement uh, as a whole started for me actually in 2009. I was a dispatcher for five and a half years in Deschutes County in Oregon. And um, I joined that profession there because I thought that also would be a challenge. And it was also a great opportunity being too young to be a police officer. I was under the age of 21. So I started there. Uh, my initial intrigue into it was my dad, who's retired law enforcement. And uh 
from, again, that stepping stone, as you find with most police officers, I think you interview that their life is riddled with other police officers. So I grew up around other law enforcement officers in Deschutes County in Oregon and went out on ride-alongs as soon as I could as a 15-year-old and fell in love with it. And then as I was a dispatcher, I made sure that I spent a lot of time riding out with the officers that I dispatched for. And uh, that involved one specific key person. His name's James Kinsella. And uh, he and I would ride together as much as we could. He's a canine officer and had a couple really fun, high-energy, active adrenaline dumps with him. And I remember specifically one situation where when we got back and he sat down in the car, actually got to drive his car, which was, oh, that was cool, right? <laughs> uh, he looked at me and he, he saw the grin from ear to ear and he goes, I just ruined you for life. Oh. Uh, you will you will want to do this job. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're right. Um, so it was a really uh, kind of a, a lifelong experience of, of a place I wanted to get to. So Yeah, well, we've, we've talked about ride-alongs here in, in the past, but explain how they've kind of changed your life as far as, or someone looking to be in this profession, how important those ride-alongs are. Yeah, they're very important. Uh, you realize that really quick what you see on TV is, is snapshots of the most exciting pieces of law enforcement. But there's a lot of nitty-gritty kind of just, if, if you want to call it dirty handwork that they do on a daily basis, which is talking to our public, which is going out and just meeting with people on, on low-level crimes and things that a lot of people may think are mundane. Um, but these guys have a passion to do it no matter what it is, whether it's you know running in to give CPR or chasing someone with their canine unit or whether they're answering a, a barking dog call, they do it with a lot of passion on every level. And so seeing that passion for me it displayed in every single call they went to, uh, it was something that I, I realized that these guys have a heart for this job and it's not just a job. It, it's a calling. It's something that they chose to do for their life. And, uh, it's, it's not just a, Hey, I'm here to punch the time clock. There's, there's a lot to this profession. So. The Take Me Home program is a free service available for all residents of McLennan County for adults and children who may have difficulty communicating due to a developmental or cognitive disability. And this database is maintained by the Waco Police Department Communications Division and is only accessible to law enforcement personnel to have vital information if encountered by an officer in our area. The Take Me Home program is available for any adult or child who has difficulty communicating. And you can do so by signing up on the Waco Police website at wacopolice.com. But before you left patrol, yeah. you did like a really great thing, I think. Um, and it was a really hard task yeah. to accomplish. <laughs> and you created it and then you promoted to detective. Come on, man. Yeah. But that's okay. It's, um, that, it's that old thing, right? You find something, <laughs> leave it better than you found it. Exactly. So maybe, maybe that's how I'll, I'll phrase that. Right, I, I right. Left it better than I found exactly. it. Exactly. Well, what we're talking about is our autism sensory kits or our ask bags. Yeah. And talk a little bit about what that bag is and where that thought came from. So the ask bags are really unique. Um, this Without giving you the next five hours of material, I'll try and condense it for you. Uh, I started training and teaching at MCC's Law Enforcement Academy. So all of our academies uh, that come in are required to take 40 hours of crisis intervention training. So I teach that course for those 40 hours. In that course, we try and expose these young officers and also some of the reaccrediting officers who have to take the course to a multitude of other, you know, Sensory disorders, cognitive disorders, mental disorders that include your schizophrenia, um, depression, bipolar disorder. We try and expose them to a lot of these things. And one of the people who I came across to present, her name was Ann Jackson. She's an ADA, uh, or formerly was an ADA with Deschutes, sorry, 
with McLennan County. All these counties get so lost in my head. <laughs> Unique names. Um, but she was an ADA with McLennan County under Barry Johnson. And her son is actually autistic. And he is uh, was originally diagnosed with Asperger's, which is now underneath that autism spectrum diagnosis. And she would come and present with Trace. And so when I took this class, uh, it was my first time being there. It was taught by Chief Lydia Alvarado, who's now out teaching for TEKS. And I was preparing to take the course from her because she was leaving the area. So as I observed, Lydia told me that this was the first time that she had ever asked Anne to present. And so we didn't know how it was going to go, right? Whenever you ask somebody to come present, you have no idea what they're going to say. A lot like what y'all did with me today. <laughs> um, you have no idea what's coming out of my mouth. It's scary. So at the end of the day, uh, we, we kind of collectively took a breath because we didn't know what she was going to share about. And uh, her and Trace came. They presented, and one of the things they presented on was something that she worked on when she was in Bell County, which is where she's at now, again, uh, working in the DA's office. It's called the Ask Bag. It was this uh, Bell County team that came together, and they began to research how in the world do these kiddos with autism end up in the juvenile justice system, and how can we better serve them? And they realized that every person that comes into juvenile justice comes through patrol. So the best way to access and mitigate folks with autism being either wrongfully arrested or put through a system that wasn't going to be the most beneficial for them was to actively reach out to patrol officers. Uh, so again, having a heart for it because she has a son that is on the spectrum, uh, she just dove in head first. And I, when I met her, she presented this bag of all these tools that in, involved helping folks on the spectrum when they're involved in some kind of a, a emergency or Maybe not even an emergency, but just some kind of contact with law enforcement. You know, we're big and scary, right? And we, we have a badge, we carry a gun, we have a taser, we got all this, all a these tools. Intimidating, maybe. Right, all these tools. Uh, and at the end of the day, not a lot of our tools are not use of force options. And so she, with Trace, birthed this idea of let's give officers a tool that's not a use of force, that's kind of bridges this gap between those who are different and those who or who are neurotypical, as we say, and when we refer to our folks on the spectrum as neurodiverse. So bridging that gap of, hey, you know, I want to know about you and I want to help you. And it, it, in this kit, it has a, you know, a whiteboard for drawing. It's got headphones because uh, our scenes are normally really loud and bright lights. And so you think of a motor vehicle crash at night, that's really overwhelming to someone with a sensory disorder, you know, like autism or even intellectual disability. So being able to dampen that noise. So we carry headphones for the kiddos uh, or adults as well. Um, we carry that. We carry some... Um, I don't think they're FDA. I, I can't remember the, the company that approves things that are that you can put in your mouth. What's a safe? I, I can't remember what that is. That sounds uh, like maybe FDA's food. FDA, which would be in, in, which put in your mouth. Yeah, it, CDC, it's, it's FDA, the, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's chewables, but a lot of kids on the spectrum chew on like silicon things because of that texture. They, they enjoy yeah. that. So what we did was we implemented some chewable items that actually are, are safe. So instead of chewing on a silicon necklace and they're ingesting items that aren't safe, now we have something that we something can kind of trade out. Something designed to be put in the mouth. And exactly. And so oh, we, we bring those in that. And we also bring a, a load of sensory items that are, are for, like, the hands, hand sensory. So poppets, uh, things that are, you know, squishy and fun. Really, it's a bag that if you put in front of just even an adult, they're just kind of fun <laughs> things to, to tinker with, right? Fidgets is something that was real big for a while. So we have a fidget spinner in there. We also put a towel. Um, because towels can help sim simulate hugs. And so a lot of times on the spectrum, these individuals don't know the way you're going to smell, uh, the way your breath might smell. Everything else is just kind of an overload, and they also can't control the duration or tightness of a hug. 
And that's a really scary situation. So uh, we put a towel in there, and that really kind of makes up the nuts and bolts of the, the Spectrum kit itself. Uh, one last piece I would say that's very intriguing is our, our piece for folks who are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. It's a flip chart. So if you don't aren't able to express yourself through words, a lot of these individuals have expressed themselves through a flip chart. They can look through these uh, images that are tied to words and can have a conversation through that flip chart. Of course, it takes a little while. It's a little hard to get used to, but... As they do, it bridges that gap. Now they can communicate. Giving someone communication is a really powerful tool. So we watched Ann present this bag, and uh, and I put my name down for one. I told Ann, hey, I think this is absolute gold. Uh, and she went to Bell County, back back to her folks that she talks to there, and got me a bag donated. That The next course they taught in my class, she just gave one to me for free. Um, and I told her, I said, oh, I, I can't believe this. This is amazing and I immediately took it out to patrol and I just use I loaded it up every day in our cars right we have cars that we just interchangeably use but it was part of my tools that I brought every single day to work same thing as anything else I brought and uh, I began to use it almost immediately Uh, we found use uses for it out on the street Uh, I told my beat partners that I had it I told my my group that I worked with that I had it they began to find uses for it. I was getting phone calls saying, hey, Delane, can you bring that bag you have? Um, can we use that? It's like a Mary Poppins bag. It really was. <laughs> it was It was quite the magical thing. Uh, and so what we ended up doing was that's how it got implemented, and it just took off. Um, because it was used so much, I went back to Ann and started telling her about these stories. She got excited about it, shared it with DA Barry Johnson and DA Johnson. Uh, we have accounts through Asset Forfeiture. And the DA's office has an account for asset forfeiture as well, because anytime something's taken, it's split between both the police department and the DA's office. And they need to spend that money, and they, they want to do it for crime victims, really. They want to reinvest into the community this money we took away from, you know, bad activity. Right. So Barry Johnson said, hey, I'll give you $14,000 to outfit 100 bags for the Waco Police Department, and uh we'll just do this. And so we, we jumped in head first and we trained every single sworn officer. Uh, took a while. It did. <laughs> it did with the, with the help of Sergeant Vaughn, uh, myself and Sergeant Vaughn taught multiple classes. I don't even think I kept track of how many, but it was a lot of Thursdays mm-hmm. and we got everybody in the department trained on these bags and they were assigned to each patrol unit. Each patrol unit has a bag and, uh, they're refilled with the items, you know, the way now it's kind of on our, our dime to refill them. Cause we don't take some of the items back. Some of them are given and, and they're just part of that. Uh, but it, it became really unique because every single unit got one. Right. Um, having been a police officer, I knew that if it's just, we had 10 and you could check them out, they may not get checked out. Mm-hmm. And also I didn't want to roll the dice of, well, I didn't check one out today, but now we need one. Sure. Um, yeah. So better to, to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And so we, we pushed for the 100 bags. We got 100 bags. So even our special units were able to get outfitted with some if they wanted them. Uh, some of those special units were able to get weighted blankets, which are a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, beefier, better. I love uh, my weighted blanket. Amazing. So good. So uh, what we did was we had this opportunity. We went for it. And, and yeah, it, it took on training, took on the whole police department. It was a one-year process from start to finish to accepting the gift because, of course, you know, that stuff is all wrapped up. I went to Chief Victorian, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time, um, you know, and it, it was a, a labor of love in the end because I didn't realize getting into it how long it was going to take. Yeah. Um, but when I was on leave because m- my second son was born, I had an officer text me and they said, hey, your dream is here. And they opened up the back of their car in this quick little video. It was Officer Watson. And 
Chris Watson takes this, this video picture of, of the bag sitting in the back of the car. So it had been assigned. Yeah. It was Sergeant Brewer and everybody else. We had packed the bags. We had tagged the bags. We, they were just here and we were waiting for it. And then all of a sudden it was here. And, uh, I got to tell you, it was a really cool moment just to be able to see something that, that was birthed from this idea. And then Waco PD, you know, just head on met it and was willing yeah. to do it, which was really cool. Cause it took a lot from admin to, to be able to push all this out too. It's, you know, a new policy and all these extra things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of good AMR since this has reached out and I've trained, uh, all of AMR staff wow. on what the ask bag is. They saw it implemented and loved it and said, we got to have it. We're going to make our own. And so they did. And so my hope is that, that just like Ann's hope, I kind of jumped on their train and said, let's, let's ride this thing and let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann still presents. She just did in July for me for the new Academy that's in right now. And, uh, and we just step by step, you know, li- little pieces. And uh, hopefully I know Waco fires talked about doing uh, an actual um, LMS training so they can see the ask bag and they can kind of chew through it and see what it is. But at the end of the day, it's, it's this, tool that we can now get to use that's not use of force and we get to meet a community who typically and statistically is pretty afraid to call us for help because they're afraid we're going to put hands on on their children and their loved ones and you know those are scary things when we don't know what it is as a police officer so Mm -hmm. that that's the nuts and bolts of it it's a very very (laughs) long story because it was a long process it's such a great story and like you said leaving leaving patrol better than how you found it you got your ask bags in there a hundred of them i think that's awesome too how you said that when you were using it when it was just you that it was pretty quickly that you it became handy and not only you using it, but then your beat partners saying, hey, Mary yeah. Poppins, can you come over here? <laughs> Calling you for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even day shift. I mean, in, in roll call, wow. I'd get calls, and they'd be like, hey, I know, oh, you're, I know you're headed to roll call. Do you have that bag with you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can you come out here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah. That really so cool. it got kind of like wildfire. It was really a cool experience to see. That's awesome to see, too, just like how one idea, because you really don't know how it's going to work, how it would be perceived by the community. And, and so I think it's really great to know when you have an idea and you get that rolling and for it to be so welcomed, I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a unique experience for sure. Traditionally, Crime Stoppers is only able to pay up to $2,000 on a tip if it leads to a arrest. But in order to help combat the gun violence that our community is experiencing, Crime Stoppers is paying up to $1,000 just for the recovery of a firearm that's illegal. So anything that's used in the commission of a crime, stolen, or uh, otherwise illegal, can get you up to $1,000. By submitting a tip through the newest method provided by Crime Stoppers USA, you can call Star Star Tips from your mobile phone, which sends you a follow-up text with a link to provide follow-up information at any time. As always, you can visit online 24-7 at wacocrimestoppers.org or call 254-753-HELP or 4357 to provide any information on an illegal firearm or any other information which leads to an arrest for a reward of up to $2,000. So send in a tip because tipping ain't snitching. We, we do, we talk a lot of work stuff, but I want to talk about you know, what, what makes you, you, (laughs) and I think, so I have to tell, I have to tell a a hilarious story because I was in your new office, um, the other day Mm -hmm. and we were, we were talking. There's some clues of who I am in there. Yeah. Well, we were talking. Okay. First of all, I was in your doorway. I wasn't necessarily like looking around. I was talking about, oh yeah, you don't have a lot of stuff up. I get made fun of because I don't have a lot of stuff of my office either. And (laughs) you started talking about 
different wines. Yeah. And I and I said you should I said I said you should be a sommelier. And he's like, well, tell him what you said. So by technical definition, a sommelier is there's a master's court. There's a there's actually levels of distinction for this. <laughs> um, and I, I jumped into the entry level of it. I couldn't go any further because I wasn't in the restaurant industry, but I worked in the wine industry for a year before coming to Waco PD uh, because I wanted to do something fun. And so I jumped headfirst into it. And it was a hobby of mine, if you will. And of course, it's a hobby that if in excess would be bad. Um, but there was a time where uh, I had befriended a gentleman who owned a wine shop in Bend, Oregon. And uh, me and him and three other gentlemen all would get together. And it was kind of like, I don't know, kings at the night's table, if you will. But we would, <laughs> we would all, you know, open up a couple bottles of wine and be able to taste through the different kinds. And it's, it's a lot more accessible then. Of course, we wouldn't all the bottles but we someone would cook dinner and and it just kind of became like a I don't know kind of like a boys club and it was fun and boys and club with wine I kind of like that it was it was like the gentleman's <laughs> club and so we we just we rolled through all these different wines and we kind of ignited a passion to to learn more so we picked varietals and we would try a certain type of wine and we would try as many varietals that were out of this region as we could and one of those yeah. was champagne uh, which I, I have a gut feeling you're going to ask me what my favorite type of wine is. And I would tell you it's champagne. Um, but we, we went through champagne extensively. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, wine is wine is a hobby and a passion of mine. I actually have journals as to each bottle that's new that I try. I take notes on it. So that's awesome. I think that's so, so interesting. Now, I know we do these episodes where we talk to the officers to, to humanize them a little bit more. But I, I was not expecting him to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm a connoisseur of wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we went through the basic instructor course together. And part of that is teaching the class something. So like mine was flying. I know how to fly a plane now. Yeah. He Thank knows. You, like that, that little 15 minute <laughs> lesson, he knows how to do that. I learned that I've been opening champagne bottles completely wrong. <laughs> it is not about how far you can shoot the, mm, the, the cork. cork. No. Yeah. Like oh. you are not supposed to aim that at people. And I don't it's think true. it's supposed to be a projectile if I remember correctly. Yeah. There's actually like four people a year that die from champagne corks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the average. That's like terrible. Be an interesting way to go. It'd be one that's weird That's more likely special than being report. struck by lightning, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I think more people than uh, shark attacks every yeah. year die by champagne corks. Wow. Didn't know it was that that serious, did you? <laughs> be a special crimes report later. <laughs> You'll get that report later. Be a media release for you, Sharon. Oh, man. Is that a celebratory way to die? Or is it just know. really sad and ruins a good occasion? Like, I do not know. What does that look like? But that's so funny. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, I mean, that, did, did you, like, always like wine? Did you grow up? No. I, guess well, I grew up in a house that we didn't, my, I, I didn't, had never seen my parents drink. Truthfully. Um, and then I think at like 18 years old, I was visiting them because I was living on my own. They were in Montana and they had a, a Bartles and James. It's like a, a wine cooler. I saw them drinking. That was the first thing I'd ever seen my parents drink. Is like Boone's Farm of the North? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think that literally <laughs> might be what it is. One, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, that looks fantastic. And I just, <laughs> so I really wasn't into wine. Uh, my wife and I, we were pretty young, fresh married, and we went on a vacation to Newport, Oregon. And we went to a fancy restaurant. And, of course, it's like when you're in a fancy restaurant, you want to feel fancy, right? Right. So we wanted to drink wine. So we told the server, hey, we want to try a bottle of wine. But we don't know what we're doing. And uh, the Can server. Can I get the Riscato, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Pinot Noir. Uh, so, yeah, that was really kind of our first adventure. We found one that was in Oregon that we liked. 
Uh, and we thought, okay, well, we live in Oregon. We had an Oregon wine. Let's go to that winery. So we did. That was the next kind of, you know, date trip that we took. And we stuck to that winery, learned a lot about it. And then, like I said, I had this, this wine shop friend, this guy who owns this wine shop, a friend of mine, his name's Robert. And uh, I had been walking down the street, and his wine shop was downtown. And I saw one of the wines from that same estate sitting in the window. So I walked in. Of course, uh, me at that time, I was in my early 20s, which meant I wore, you know, backwards baseball hats, and I was super cool. Um, and I was in shorts, and I didn't fit the motif of, like, a wine connoisseur at no, all. No, no. Um, which is kind of something I pride myself on, is I, I try. I was going to say, it shocked me. Yeah, I tried to not to fit that mold at all. And Robert took the time to explain wine to me. In fact, it was that afternoon, uh, and he said, you know, it's a great afternoon outside. He goes, have you ever had champagne? I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, there's true champagne, which is from this region in France. It's where it's got to be grown. It's got to be pressed. It's an actual thing. Uh, and let's do a half bottle of champagne, and I'll sit you out on the patio, and you can just kind of watch the world go by. And so that opened the entire Pandora's box that is my my wine hobby. <laughs> so, yeah. And it was a it was a bottle. It was a split of, in case the listeners are even, even interested, Viacart Simone uh, Rosé, half bottle. Rosé. Yeah, that's where I started. I guess Rosé guy. You know, Rosé <laughs> I'm a, okay. I'll, I'll, and you know what? A lot of people will always laugh. Well, I only drink Rieslings. But, you know, the funny thing is, is every single wine that's out there that gets produced has a place, especially when it's married with food and it's paired right. So I don't look down on your white wine drinkers, your red wine drinkers. Just because you drink red wine doesn't mean you're a serious wine drinker. So, you know, all those Moscato drinkers out there, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm game to, to enjoy it with you. What about the blue wines? I haven't even – what is a blue wine? It's okay. Okay. I have – Someone brought it to me for my wedding. They brought me, and I didn't open it because it was so pretty. It's like a Tiffany blue champagne. Well, Tiffany that blue is not gorgeous. what I was talking about. Mine is not that fancy. <laughs> it's, it's like three dollars a bottle at Brookshire's <laughs> and McGregor. I mean, I don't think it was expensive. I don't think it was very expensive either. It might have been less than twenty dollars. But I was so I was like, was I can't beautiful. open this. this. Is I can't open it. There you go. I thought it was so pretty. Yeah. Well, and so a really nerd fact, too, if we can, for just a moment. Yeah. Is, yeah. So I went to school. My school is, my education is in psychology. I have a master's in counseling. And I, uh, I love wine because I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. That whenever you experience something, like, say, a good meal, or say, friend, you know, you're out to f- your friend's back patio and you're just relaxing. Um, smells, aromas, tastes, all those kind of things go into concreting a memory into your mind. And so the really cool part is, is that when you have a bottle of champagne or you have a bottle of red wine or white wine with a friend and it's, it's a memorable occasion, it actually helps cement that memory better into your mind. And the really cool part is uh, I've gone back and revisited some of these memorable bottles. And when I smell that wine and I close my eyes, it really does help elicit that memory kind of almost like a time travel back to that moment. And you remember that joyous time. So it's really a cool way to unlock memories of life and who you were with, and the meal you had, and it's it's actually something that is scientifically locks into your mind psychologically. So I enjoy it for that aspect because it's almost like place markers through my life and times that I've done things. So that is super cool. Yeah, and I experienced that back in December. We were coming back from Virginia. We went out there to visit the in-laws for Christmas, mm. and as we're driving back, we went and stopped. You know, Nashville had horrible traffic, so my wife is like, "Let's just stop somewhere. Let's eat." not sit on the highway for a couple hours. Absolutely. We sat down. It is this place called Odessa. It is a Turkish restaurant, and it was phenomenal. Yeah. The first bite, I was just like, I was taken back to when we lived overseas. And 
I experienced Amazing. that. And it was, it was just like crazy. I'm sitting there and every bite, I'm just like, baby, I remember like these memories that I haven't had since I was like seven or like all yeah. flooding, flooding back to me all at once. Wow. So that's cool that you're like encapsulating yeah. that with things as you go through life. Well, I mean, if you think about it, everybody has those kind of memories. You, you have that memory of Christmas, right? Christmas smells a certain way, maybe, oh, or, or Thanksgiving yes. smells a certain way, or, or grandma's house smelled a certain way. Yeah. You know, there's all these things that, that are memory markers and we don't think about it, but when you have a meal and you, mm. or it, whether it's, it doesn't even have to be wine specifically, just be a, a really good tasting meal. Someone makes chicken pot pie the way that your grandma used to make it and it takes you back. It's just a really cool way to cement memories into your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why is it so important for, it seems so silly, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, people just forget that you're real humans. Yes. So why, when did you learn that it probably would be a good idea to have hobbies outside of work? Wow. Um, again, good question. But hobbies outside of work is is something that I realized in schooling. It got cemented into me when I went into my master's program uh, just to be healthy. It was important to have hobbies because it takes away that stress, right? Uh, the other thing is, is if you think about a police officer going out, answering calls, uh, empathetically dealing with the public takes energy. It takes a lot of emotional energy. It takes a lot of physical energy. And you got to refill that somehow. Otherwise, you end up in kind of a bitter uh, train or, or the thing you'll hear people talk about is burnout. Uh, I call it compassion fatigue just because you're fatigued by your ability to give empathy. And so in that, um, I, I've just found that the hobbies is what refills me. Mm-hmm. Hobbies is what gives me the energy to come back and be compassionate towards that family or this individual who may be experiencing a crisis that I may not feel like a crisis in my life, but it is for them. And remembering that's just very, very, very important. Um, and so hobbies, hobbies are that outlet. And then there was another book that I had read when I first had started as a dispatcher and it was emotional survival for law enforcement by Dr. Kevin Gil Martin. And it is all about that hypervigilance. And then you come down and crash and it, it kind of read my mail because there was a time when I worked a a line of duty death at 911 and it was really, really hard on me. And my wife watched me walk through that and she read that book and she goes, uh, by the way, this just explained you, uh, I read it and he talks about how coming down off that hypervigilance to get your body uh, and your mind chemically right, it takes a hobby. It takes doing something outside of uh, just work. Working more isn't the answer. Also, you know, chasing problems into a bottle isn't better. Overspending, all those traps we fall into when we're stressed out, uh, and they're not good things. And so you got to find healthy outlets. And so, and that's remembering your hobbies. You know. so, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you have to remember, remind the community too, is that y'all are human and to try not to give you guys such a hard time either <laughs> well, we all, on calls. We all come from a unique set of backgrounds, right? You know, a lot of times, I, I, well, they, like you said, you walked in my office, had no idea, right? Yeah, no idea what I did in my <laughs> off time, what, what kind of places we all come from. Well, we all have histories, right? We're all human beings. We have a history and we, we have things that make us us way outside of our jobs, uh, outside of our jobs, outside of even just our friendship circles. It, we're different. Yeah, absolutely. So, so hard question here. Yeah. You were a dispatcher, you worked in patrol, and now you're in special crimes, and you've only been three weeks in special crimes, but yeah. still, um, favorite favorite one so far? Favorite one so far? Oh. Man. I don't think I can pick a Yeah, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's not even fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> because each one in its own right is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, special crimes haven't been there long enough to know enough to say that I can uh, even make that distinction, really, but I'm learning a lot as fast as I can. Right. And, uh, and each, each phase has been unique, right? I mean, it's so unique. Yeah. Patrol's a unique 
thing in and of itself, and I loved it while I was out there. Like I said, at the beginning of this year, if you told me in January I was going to be a detective in special crimes right now, I probably would have laughed at you. You've been like, no, I'm going to be giving out my sunglasses and blanket <laughs> exactly. to I'm still going to be patrol. working on this project. Uh, but, yeah, that, that would have been my answer. And so I don't know. That's kind of the beauty of it is, yeah. is you just don't know. But each season has been a good season, and it's been just as long as it needed to be, I think. Absolutely. Nice. I like that. That was a good answer. Do you have any, so this is my, this is our favorite question to every officer that comes in here because it's always fun to hear the different answers. Okay. But that would be a stereotype or a, I can never think of the other word. Misconception. Assumption. Assumption, misconception, stereotype about the police force, police department that, you don't let the public know like, hey, that's not right. Jeez. Um, if you say donuts, I'm going to call you a liar. It's, yeah, well, I mean, that's <laughs> just facts are facts. Um, that we're too busy for you. A lot of people don't want to bug us. I've, I've had a couple people who, even people that I've known, have been like, oh, yeah, I saw you, but I didn't say hi to you. Why? You know, why didn't you say hi to me? Well, I, you just looked really busy. You know what? Come up and say hi to us. Of course, you know, if we're sitting behind crime scene tape, there's a time and a place, right? Sure. But when we're out and about, flag us down. Say hi to us. You know, we're not too busy for you. And okay. that, that's that a little bit of that old school policing that I loved from when my dad would talk to me about it was, you know, the, this advent, this change in policing where now we drive around in cars with tinted windows and our windows are up. And uh, when I would train, I would always tell my rookies, hey, for every now and then drive around your beat with your windows down. People will flag you down that way, and you can hear people, and you can you can see kids running and playing, and, and intentionally stop and do things. And so, we're not too busy for you, uh, no matter what you may think. We're not too busy, and and if we see you flagging us down, they should be stopping, okay? <laughs> but um, and, and if they don't, maybe they were headed somewhere and they were busy. But if we're just in line eating lunch, things like that, come up say hi. You know, we're not we're not too busy for you, and you're not going to be bugging us. It's our job, so we say hi. Be. Don't say oh he did it. Yeah, yeah, we get like that a lot actually too. Like, oh, I didn't interact do with it. us like people. Yeah, there you like, go. Not Ask us how our day is going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can talk to us like we have normal conversation. That's a good point, AJ. I like that. So yeah, yeah. no, have a conversation with us. Just you know, you can ask us how our day is going. Whatever else you might like to know about us, or you know, ask us an off the wall question because what's going to happen is we're going to be sitting with our beat partner for the rest of the day. We're going to be like, remember that guy that asked us what our favorite hobby was? That was interesting. He I've never also liked that wine. <laughs> but I, yeah. it's kind of nice to know that, oh, yeah. hey, I remember that, or, or just knowing that, oh, man, he loves champagne, and I love champagne. Yeah, who doesn't it's love It's just like a champagne. cool connection. Yeah. It's the best so. thing in the world is when you have a bottle of champagne on, like, a Tuesday night, and someone will ask you, well, what are we celebrating? And you tell them, well, it's Tuesday. And then the server normally would just look at you and go, okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tuesday. Here we are. Well, so. Detective DeLang. Still getting used to that. Uh, thank you for joining us. Anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode of Speaking with a Detective. Well, you just say officer. I mean, y'all are y'all are peace officers, really. But, Doesn't offend know, me. Titles are titles. <laughs> but thank you guys so much. I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer. And I'm Officer AJ Smith, the Crime Stoppers Coordinator for McLennan County. Have a good one, Waco. Till next time. Waco PD on the beat. The heartbeat serving 